the demographics of our volunteer workforce, not only for us at Oxfam, but I speak also with colleagues across the sector, have changed. People who have never volunteered before are now thinking about volunteering or they have been volunteering throughout the pandemic. People who were on furlough, were not working at the time, they decided to join a volunteering program. People who have been always volunteering with us, they had to go shielding and they couldn't get out of their homes. So really we have seen a shift in terms of the people who are volunteering across the UK in terms of who was volunteering before and who has an interest in volunteering Mm. now. After a chance opportunity to lead a youth volunteering program in Nicaragua, Elena has firmly cemented a career in helping others, working with some of the UK's leading charities to manage their volunteer programs. In this episode of the podcast, Elena and I discuss the importance of treating your volunteers as individuals and how understanding volunteer motivations ensures connection. We also take a look at the impacts of COVID-19, including the changing landscape of volunteers, with traditional volunteers having been replaced at least temporarily by corporates and younger demographics as a result of furloughs and decreased job opportunities The need to create roles that are more flexible and technologically driven is more important than ever. If this is your first time checking us out, the Engage Volunteer podcast aims to highlight the ways in which organizations and individuals are engaging their communities to connect them to events and causes they're passionate about. The best way to support the Engage Volunteer podcast is to click follow wherever you listen to us and tell your friends about us. Elena Laguna, thank you so much for joining us, the Head of Volunteering for Oxfam in Great Britain. You've been someone that we've been wanting to have on the podcast for quite some time, so it's uh, it's really nice to speak to you. You personally have a, an awesome journey that I'm keen to understand, and then Oxfam, the work, the incredible work that you guys are doing, I'm really keen to talk about that today. So uh, firstly, how are you in London at the moment? Well, thank you very much for having me today here. It's it's a pleasure talking to you today about volunteers, which is something I'm really passionate about. So I could be talking about it on and on. So, you know, <laughs> feel free to stop me at some point. <laughs> We're very well in London, kind of easing lockdown now. So it's good to see some activity and see some volunteering programs coming back to to live, really. Yeah, big time. Certainly challenging last few uh, 12 months, really, I guess, from today. So maybe just for our listeners, if you could sort of summarise your, your role with Oxfam and, and the work that Oxfam do in the UK. Well, we are a large international charity and we got, you know, presence in, in so many countries across the world. My role is based in Great Britain. And uh, so I'm head of volunteering, leading the volunteering function across the organization. We have volunteering opportunities at our charity shops, events, campaigns and education. So we have lots of different roles to attract people from different backgrounds and, and interests And uh, yeah, we have around 20,000 volunteers in total supporting us. So we are very lucky to have a a large number of supporters in our books. Yeah, Oxfam certainly an international sort of superstar in this this world. So uh, great to get your insight uh, into how you operate in the UK. So I guess you've been there for two, three years now, is that correct? Yes, that's right. I joined um, Oxfam in 2019. So I have been there for uh, for a few years now. 
Yeah, lovely. Okay. And we'll get into your international experience and the work you've done with other charities in particular, but I'd really love to learn about how it started off. Everyone's got their own journey. And I think what we've learned from this podcast is nothing's very linear in terms of direct course from university straight into volunteer management. So I'm really keen to learn your journey and how it all started for you and and the steps you've taken. That's right. I think I have never met any volunteer manager who has followed the same line in terms of, (laughs) you know, profession. We are all kind of uh, learning from different roles and trying to kind of find our own path, which is what what, what happened to to me as well. So I finished university um, back in Spain. Um, kind of like a, a decade ago and I came to the UK as a student to kind of continue my studies and then I kind of I started working in the localization translation world so I was working in the private sector in digital in a digital um, agency and you know after two three years working in the city and kind of coming back to work thinking this is not what I want. This is not what's right for me. I really want something else. I decided to quit my job and join a, a volunteering program in Central America, in Nicaragua. So I was uh, joining a, a youth scheme supported by the uh, UK government. And uh, I went to Nicaragua, uh, you know, um, and I was there for four months uh, leading a team, um, a local team of volunteers and also volunteers from the UK. And we were working on a very interesting water and sanitation program mm-hmm. um, in that rural community. As you can imagine, if managing volunteers is something that it has its, its challenges, working in, in, in a rural environment with lack of water, lack of sanitation, you know, the heat, the, the language barriers. Um, obviously, I, for me, it was slightly easier because I speak Spanish and English. Yeah. So I kind of kind of be the, the bridge between the cultures and, and, and the volunteers. But it was it was very difficult sometimes. But it was also very rewarding working with the community in that project, working with the local charity as well. And, you know, after that experience, I couldn't go back to the, the, yeah, the private sector. <laughs> I, I said, you know, when I came back to the UK, I was talking to myself and I, I said, you know, I cannot continue doing what I was doing before this mm. amazing experience. I have to do something completely different. And, and this is how I started uh, working with volunteers in the UK um, at the British Red Cross. And I was working with the British Red Cross for uh, a couple of years as a manager. And then since then, I have never looked back, really. It's, uh, it's what I really want to do in the future and now. And uh, it's what I'm really passionate about. Yeah, I think it's probably a, a crossroads, really, isn't it? As we've heard from other guests on the podcast, you get to a point. What was it that made the jump and what, what took you to Nicaragua? Was it like, I just need to find something else? Or were you like, I just want to find something where I can help and it's not for profit? Uh, what was the, the jump? And surely that took a bit of courage at the time. I'm sure some interesting conversations with family and friends going, hey, I'm going to Nicaragua. <laughs> how'd, how'd that process happen for you? That's right. I mean, I got really interesting questions from family and and friends saying, why are you going there? Were you (laughs) going to be there? Like, they couldn't believe it, actually. In the first place, they couldn't believe it. Like, right until the time I was on the plane, they couldn't believe I was I was leaving, you know, for for four months to, to be there. 
I think, well, it's true that when I was working in the private sector, I was account manager for a few charities who were kind of our okay, customers. So you had exposure so to charities, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of, I got insight into how charities work. And that was very interesting for, for me. So this is how I, you know, I decided to to, to jump in and say, I, I want to, to give it a try. I want to see how it is like, you know, working for a charity abroad. The opportunity came up literally by chance on Google's. It was not even a Google search. It was like an, an advert I got somewhere. And I said, this is what I want to do. I want to apply for this program, you know, and I went through the recruitment process and I got the team leader role and that's it. So, yeah. you know, I was all ready to go. So that's kind <laughs> of how I decided to, to join that program. It was literally by chance and uh, it was not something that I planned very much. And I think that's the best things in life, right? It's about, you know, giving mm. a go at uh, see if it works for you. And if it works for you, just go ahead with all your power and energy. That's That's yeah. what I believe in. Yeah, and, and now your role as head of volunteers, you've clearly you've worked your way up the ranks from Nicaragua to, to the position you're in today, uh, which is which is a great story in itself. Maybe just your own sort of version of how, how you've worked to get into these positions, leadership and, and working with others, having people report to you. How have you found that experience and how do you operate at the moment as a as a leader in, in volunteering? So as a head of volunteering now, I'm not directly managing volunteers. So it's not it's not part of my day-to-day role to manage volunteers. But I was doing that for many years. Yeah. And I was a volunteer myself, which gives me a kind of 60-degree overview of the challenges and opportunities when working with people who are donating their time, who are there because they want to be there. And when I'm what I always think when I'm, you know, doing something for volunteers, a strategy, when I'm working with line managers who are managing volunteers, I always think how I will see this myself, mm-hmm. you know, if I were a volunteer. So I can always relate to, to how they would feel, how they would work with us. And that really helps me because when I'm trying to put together, you know, a communications strategy, how I when I was a volunteer, I wanted to be, uh, you know, kind of receive communications, to speak with my line manager, know about the, the charity. It's that's, that's the things that really has happened in, in the past, you know, when I was managing volunteers and then volunteer managers. So I think throughout my career, I always remember that. And I'm still a volunteer. I'm a trustee for a, for yeah. a youth charity in London. And as a, during the pandemic, I started working, I started working again as a, as a volunteer for the British Red Cross. So I keep kind of, whenever there is an opportunity and I have the, the time, because obviously as life gets busier, it's quite difficult sometimes to, you know, to find the time. But when you find the right opportunity, this is this is when I always try to, you know, to make a difference and contribute to it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I kind of went through, you know, being a volunteer to now managing and leading a volunteering function in a, in a large charity is about always keeping volunteers at the heart generally. So yeah. Really putting them at the heart and listening to them and how they would like to do things for the charity. Mm. And I guess now for you, you're as you mentioned, you're a step away from them effectively from where you were, right? And probably where you were really passionate and loving to do that. And then the natural evolution is the more you grow in your career, probably the less connected you are with what you loved at the very beginning. And that's the challenge, but the process of, of growing. How, how have you found, I guess, 
maybe being a little more separated from what you what you loved and then how have you then managed like teams that work beneath you so I, I would assume like what is the size of the team that you now manage at Oxfam and and how do you try and still stay connected with volunteers whilst probably being a, a step away so I'm leading a central function so we we are I lead a team of uh, four volunteer engagement managers who support, you know, managers across the country Yeah. in terms of like from a strategic point of view. So our shop managers, our event managers, they will be working with volunteers directly. So what we do is to give them the skills, you know, and the knowledge through training and, and providing resources for them and the technology to make sure that they can make that happen. So our our role as a team is to support those volunteer managers to give a meaningful experience to our volunteers. So this is our main challenge, but also a very re- rewarding part of our job because we have to be very creative and innovative. We have to come up with ideas about how we can reach as many line managers as possible yeah. so they can give a good experience to their volunteers. Yeah. Um, something that I always try to do as well is to be in touch with volunteers myself. So, sure. you know, we okay. have a Facebook group. I always like to kind of follow their posts, speak to them. If I get the chance to go to a, a charity shop, one of our, you know, we've got 600 shops across the UK. I always like to, when I'm in a city or somewhere um, in a town, I always like to kind of pop in and see what they have got and how many volunteers they, they got in there and how they work. So that's something that I always try to do It's to connect with them in whatever way I can really, you know, if yeah. I'm, you know, it can be face-to-face, obviously it has been very difficult to do that throughout the lockdown but you know online I always try to kind of involve them and speak to them and know about them and how they you know how they feel uh, connected to to Oxfam and so that's something that I always remember and I hope I'm not going to forget because if I forget connecting with our volunteers it's you know I would you know I would be a terrible manager yeah Yeah, no I I think it's really sage advice for for people as they step away from from the front line if you will to but to stay connected I think it's pretty consistent feedback we we hear from from really great managers in in this podcast so now Oxfam as an organization it's not a it's not basic you you have three sort of core functions probably more but shops events campaigns that you guys run what I'm interested to understand is the volunteers is a centralized function that if I'm a volunteer, I can see shops, I can see events, I can see campaigns and, and my one profile, I can see everything. Or is it almost like you're running three sort of siloed divisions, probably more as well? Like how do you manage the fact that you run sort of different opportunities that would probably require different skill sets and attract different people to, to the programs? So as you you know, as you, as you have said, we have different opportunities from charity shops, events, campaigns. And we obviously, we want volunteers who are supporting Oxfam. We want them to support us as much as possible. That's what every charity would like to, you know, to have with their volunteers. But we also understand that some volunteers, they're very interested in music and, you know, and donations. And they yeah. might not have such a big interest in a large, massive event, you know, like Glastonbury. So we have, again, something that I always say, it's treating volunteers as individuals. They are not a large homogeneous group. They are people with different interests. And if we can support them to do as much as possible for us with the right training and the right, you know, support, that's absolutely fine. But if they want just to kind of volunteer in a shift in a a charity shop, that's absolutely fine. They don't have to do all the things if they're not interested. But if they are, we would do our best to, 
to support them. And we do have volunteers because we have also uh, seasonal uh, roles. So, sure. you know, during the summer, we have lots of event volunteers and they might then be supporting us during the winter in our charity shops or campaigns. So it's it, it really depends on, on the season, but we have lots of volunteers and we also have pop-up charity shops in our uh, festivals. So shop volunteers, they, they support us during the summer at our events. And that's fantastic because they're bringing that experience, that knowledge to a group of volunteers that they might not have it and they can mentor other volunteers and, and help them. So there, there is also that peer power support that we really, really value, uh, yeah. which is about volunteers supporting each other and learning from each other. I think that's really valuable in terms of going, changing and shifting between opportunities. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I would imagine for Oxfam, your volunteer application for Glastonbury V uh, working at a shop would be vastly different, right? And you would be receiving a lot more interest probably on, on Facebook and other sort of promotions to go, let's get a lot of applications through Glastonbury, give them a great experience. Is there a deliberate approach there for Oxfam to then say, we're going to engage potentially a lot of youth potentially through through Glastonbury? And then how do we then engage those youth for our wider organization? Is there, is there a deliberate sort of recruitment process there or a way that you try and give someone a great first experience so that they then stay with Oxfam for the long term? Is there something that you guys, is that a, a function that you try and operate or is it sort of you just put opportunities out there and, and whoever fits the right role will get it? Well, I think the key thing for us is to give a positive, good first experience yep. to a volunteer. Wherever, you know, however they are joining us, either through a shop, an event, we really want them to understand how we work, how we operate, the difference that we make around the world in, in our programs to fight poverty. So that's something that we, we strive to do. We, we really aim at giving a good experience. And yeah. then after that, we as volunteer managers and as leader in the sector, we really need to understand that Volunteering isn't the same it was a decade ago. People are not just volunteering for their entire life now, every for Tuesday, sure. um, sure. at, you know, at 6 p.m. Now yep. people are kind of, and something very, very important um, for volunteers is that they're coming in and, go, you know, coming for a few months and then they might, you know, continue with their studies and then come back. And this is what I do when I volunteer as well. I haven't been volunteering all the time, you know, throughout my career. There are times when I, I have the time, the capacity, the kind of the, the mental space to do that. And I do it. And there are other times when I have to step back. And that's absolutely fine. We should accept that. And yeah. we should give it such a good agree. experience to, to volunteers that they come back to us, you know, yep. whenever they are ready again. Yep. So that's something that we, we try to do. We don't specifically target, you know, we put our opportunities up there. We try to attract as many people as possible. And then, you know, if they want to continue supporting us, it's something that we really welcome. But it's ultimately is their choice how they yeah. want to support Oxfam. For sure, for sure. I understand. Now, one thing we discussed earlier was around clearly Oxfam and every charity, every organization engaging volunteers has moved to a more digital space in terms of the way that they engage their volunteers. With that has its challenges. Clearly, older demographics, certain sections of community may not have access to technology like others do to engage immediately with your programs. How have Oxfam tried to, to manage this? And, and is there anything you're doing or any perhaps advice for others that are going through the same challenge? I'm really glad that you are, you know, kind of uh, 
um, talking about this because uh, digital exclusion has been uh, sure. a big part of what we have been doing um, from the beginning of the of the pandemic. Right at the beginning, when we were uh, putting together our you know communications strategy for the next few months, that was always at the back of our minds. You know, like how we are going to reach people who are not on Facebook, on WhatsApp. And how we are going to to get in touch with them? We have a very diverse group of volunteers. We have volunteers with, you know, sixty years old volunteer who is uh, volunteering every week with us. We have students from the age of fourteen. We have, you know, parents. So we have a really diverse kind of workforce. Um, and people from different backgrounds who are joining Oxfam for different reasons. Um, so I think. First of all, it's about asking them how they want to engage with us. When you, you know, they're the best people to tell us how they want to hear about us. And, and I remember talking, we also have volunteers with, that we ask them frequently about the things that we, we want to do. And uh, I remember speaking with volunteers from certain groups, how we can reach them. And we set up a very good kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic, a very good like telephone program for, you know, to kind of to phone in them, uh, those, you know, especially elderly volunteers sure. who, you know, volunteering was part of their lives. You know, it was the thing that they were doing every week and it yeah. was very uh, meaningful. They felt connected with their community in that way. So they were very happy, you know, at the beginning of the lockdown, the first lockdown, to hear from Oxfam and to simply ask them about how they were getting on, how was, you know, their, you know, how was everything with them? Sure. They really valued that. And that's the core of engagement is treating yeah. individuals as as what they are individuals with different yeah. needs and giving them a call and asking them how they doing. It was what it works for them. Yeah. For sure. I think that's um, an obvious question is Noxfam with 20,000 plus volunteers, the treating everyone as an individual, it makes a lot of sense completely. How are you possibly managing to treat everyone as individuals when you're probably getting hundreds of applications potentially per week of volunteers? Is there something that you're doing? Does technology play a part? What's the process to make people feel welcome and not just apply for a Glastonbury shift once, miss out and never be heard of again? I think that really comes down to the training that we provide to line managers, to volunteer sure. managers. It does yep. really come down to the culture about volunteering. So obviously, possibly, I cannot, uh, you know, as a head of volunteering, make sure that the 20,000 volunteers that we have got across, across the country are treated as individuals. Totally. But I can make sure that that message you know, goes down to all the teams, all the, the shop managers know that they should listen to the volunteers, they should consult them, speak to them frequently about what's going on in the shop, what they're going to do next in terms of events, this sort of thing. So my role is about making sure that that message is very clear, that the training is in place, that we recruit the, you know, the volunteer managers who have an interest in developing teams and, and making that possible. So that's really the work that we do is strategically thinking about how we can make sure that that happens, that volunteers have a, a meaningful experience, even though we got thousands of them yeah. across the country. For sure, for sure. Now, I know we've spoken about potentially older demographics and that, that digital exclusion that you summarised really nicely. I understand Oxfam and especially in the UK, it's such a diverse group of people, quite clearly. And I think 
for you, for Oxfam, you need to be really conscious of that in the way that you recruit volunteers and make sure equal opportunity for everyone. Is there anything you're particularly doing in diversity for your volunteering or is it similar in a way that the training is involved to make sure that it is equal for everybody? It's both, actually. So it's about training and about making sure that those who are recruiting volunteers understand that we welcome people from the age of 14, from any background, yep. you know, from different abilities and, and how we support them. So it's about it's about giving those those volunteer managers the, the confidence that they can welcome anyone sure. if they give them the right level of support and the right level of training. So it's about giving, you know, also making sure that Volunteer managers can access that support if they need to contact, you know, if they're recruiting young people and they, for some reason, they need to contact our safeguarding manager about some questions, about references, about speaking with the school. So that's the sort of things that we need to make available for volunteer managers. We need to also make sure they have the support to support their people. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's really, really important in terms of, you know, kind of reaching people from different backgrounds. In terms of the things that we, we, you know, we, we really are keen to attract more young people to our shops. That was even before the pandemic, but obviously it's, it's clear now that we need, you know, to attract as many young people as possible because, you know, for various reasons, people are still kind of shielding, um, you know, still kind of getting ill. It's, it's very important that we widen our, our audiences. Sure. And, and, so, and sorry to interrupt. Is that something you've actually noticed as an organisation that potentially older demographics are less likely to come back and, and volunteer with Oxfam for, for those reasons you just mentioned? Or how have you found the COVID results of volunteering? Oh, absolutely. Um, sure. I think the demographics of our volunteer workforce, not only for us at Oxfam, but I speak all with, also with colleagues across the sector, have changed, has really changed for, you know, probably for, uh, you know, for the next few years. People who have never volunteered before are now thinking about volunteering or they have been volunteering throughout the pandemic. People who were on furlough, were not working at the time, you know, they decided to join a volunteering program. People who, you know, have been always volunteering with us, they had to go shielding and they couldn't get out of their homes sure. or they were ill or they had a kind of like a health condition and then they couldn't go out. So really we have seen a shift in terms of, obviously people are slowly coming back, but we have seen a shift in terms of the people who are volunteering across the UK in terms of who was volunteering before and who has an interest in volunteering mm. now. And how we are going to support that? Because now we need to adapt to, to that change mm. as, you know, organizations emerge from the pandemic. How we are going to support those different groups that they never volunteered before and they probably even know, don't know much about the voluntary sector. People who have been working for many years in the private sector were suddenly on furlough and uh, doing voluntary work. So what do they know about the charity sector? How we can support them to have a good first experience that is going to last for, you know, for, for long? Yeah, it's such an interesting uh, problem to have effectively about going, well, we've changed our whole demographic, not whole, but a, a large portion yeah. of our demographic of volunteers. And we now need to react differently and engage them differently. Because as you said, if people aren't treated as individuals in terms of they're signing up for the reason that they sign up for is different to the person next to them, they're not probably going to come back. It's probably an interesting question about how do you see retention for, for volunteers? Like, 
I think we've touched on it a bit today, but it's almost like for those volunteers that were on furlough, as an example, coming to volunteer for Oxfam, clearly you're not judging them too critically if they're not coming back, but is it a, is it a marker potentially for your team? Like it's not KPIs strictly for your department, but would there be things that you're saying to your team about saying, how do we engage those furlough volunteers differently perhaps to maybe the older demographics that have been with us forever? Are there different approaches you take to keeping those volunteers engaged by where they're coming from? I think when when we have had, you know, corporate volunteers, so volunteers who are coming as a one-off to support yeah. us. So they're not people who can support us regularly every week, but they come and go, you know, as they, as they come. So there is something very valuable about corporate volunteering, but you have to make it right because you can expect someone who is coming once you know, a month or once in, you know, in three months to do the, za- the same or to achieve the same things as someone who is coming every week. So you need to adapt your opportunities first. So in order for an organization to provide a meaningful opportunity to new groups or to different groups, it's about adapting those opportunities first. Yeah. What do I need to achieve as an organization? So it's not the other way around. It's not about having the people and then finding things for them to do yeah, is about right, this yeah. is what we got yeah. how we can then adapt these opportunities for people who are giving different hours and, and time to our charity so that's the first thing we need to sort our homework we need to do our homework first mm. you know at home yeah. and then you know i'll go out there and say this is what we have got, and this is how you can support us yeah yeah really interesting i think from a lot of our friends in the mass participation space, and I know Oxfam clearly uh, involved with that space too. From a participation level, everything went virtual, pros and cons clearly. But in volunteering, we also saw a big shift from clearly physical volunteering at that festival, like you mentioned, or to, to virtual. How did you manage that virtual volunteering? And maybe more specifically, that there would have been some greater skill sets clearly, that were coming to your organizations from potentially higher levels that you may not have ever seen before through COVID. You said you needed to customize your programs a little, but how did you engage with real sort of virtual volunteering that wasn't necessarily boots on the ground? For example, when we are, we have, um, in terms of opportunities, obviously they changed a lot from the beginning of the lockdown and uh, we had to close down our 600 shops across the UK. We have to cancel our events. That was quite massive and created quite a lot of disruption for us. But very quickly, we tried to have an initial big focus on communication, support and engagement. So we were supporting our volunteers. We wanted to know how they were feeling. You know how it was at the beginning. It was terrifying for lots of people. We wanted to to know how they were getting on and make sure that we were there for them if they needed some sort of support. But then, you know, kind of as we moved on to kind of find new opportunities, we also developed quite a lot our online shops, so our e-commerce side of our charity shops. So we have done lots of work in terms of how volunteers can support us online, which was not something that was the, it was always in the agenda and it's something that we wanted to do, but we couldn't really see... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, the pandemic really forced us to to do that, to focus on our e-commerce and our, you know, donate, selling our donated items and fair trade online. 
And that had a massive impact, positive impact on our volunteer teams, because all of a the sudden they were very interested in doing things for us in different ways and to support our uh, online shop, which was not something that it was so attractive before because people wanted to be uh, yeah. in the shop and they wanted to socialize, but that wasn't possible. So uh, possibly they didn't even, you know, they didn't have a choice, um, you know, yeah. in a way. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it was really, has been really attractive for, for lots of them. And they have done a fantastic job in terms of promoting on social media and helping us to be our ambassadors, which is the best thing that a volunteer can do for, for a charity. Mm, yeah, for sure. Now, now, this might be a really challenging question. You may not have an answer to this, but a lot of volunteers. <laughs> will, yeah, I, don't, I, I apologize. They've been pretty tricky today. A lot of volunteers will volunteer for that connection, right, in terms of their community and to work with other volunteers and to be the front line. Then there becomes virtual volunteering where people can put their skill sets to use. But the reality is they're doing it from their their bedroom where they're not probably working with other volunteers. Is there a way that you can make those virtual volunteers feel connected? In a, in a similar way that a, a physical volunteer can? Clearly, you, you've mentioned you, you make phone calls and things. Maybe, maybe that's the answer. Well, I think the first thing that we need to remember is that hopefully this is not going to be forever. So this sure. is kind of like a temporary kind of thing that although we are, we are likely to have online opportunities in the future, there are also going to be opportunities to probably meet face-to-face once, yes. you know, in a while. So hopefully this is isn't a permanent kind of working environment and as we are kind of emerging from the pandemic and opening our shops because we have now reopened um, all our shops across the UK kind of things are you know uh, obviously with social distancing and you know wearing the face mask which is kind of you know uh, it's still kind of is preventing you know kind of that 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 contact connection yeah but a connection with with people but Surely you can find that connection online. Surely you can, you know, talk to your volunteers, not only about work and the things that they have to do, but you can ask them about how was their day? How was their daily work? Was, did they see, you know, uh, I don't know. It's there. You can talk to people about more things other than work, even online. Although yeah. it seems like, you know, it, it has been a challenge for me personally as well. Lots of time when you are online on Zoom, you just talk about work, yeah, you know, about what you sure. have to do. But you can find a way to connect with them in a in a different way, the same that you would do outside, you know, having a coffee in the in the kitchen or you know, it's so surely you can find ways to connect with people and surely you can give them the hope and the uh, the reassurance that isn't a permanent thing. And even yeah. though they're going to support us online in the future, there will be opportunities where they can socialize face to face and and kind of find their own ways to to connect with people in other ways other than just work. Yeah. So important, not just for the vertical that you're in, but for I think for everybody in the world at the moment. Where you and I we're both working from home right now. It's uh it's a critical point, not just to be talking about work and everything like that. So I, I think you answered yeah. a, a very tricky question the best way you possibly could. There's no real right answer, I don't think. So you've done well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um yeah, awesome. Well, look, Elena, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, I was just sort of thinking if there's any Maybe, maybe advice for, for volunteer managers out there. You've probably touched on it throughout the podcast, but almost like your, your number one advice for volunteer managers to best engage with their volunteers and probably with a, with a COVID mindset to that at the moment with what everyone around the world's going through right now. 
Uh, well, if I could give, uh, you know, like my top advice to volunteer managers is about a very simple one. I know it's quite very basic, it's, but it's about communication. It's about talking to volunteers. It's about involving them in what you're doing. Don't do just things for them. They want also to be involved. They want to do things with you, with their teams. That's very important. As much as we think sometimes we have the, as managers, we have the best ideas in the world and they might really work, you know, but it's very important that you run them through your teams because you, you need their buying, you need their support to make them happen in reality. So it's essential that you talk to them about what's going on in your charity. Tell them about how much you have fundraised in your last event tell them about the programs that you have been supporting recently in Yemen or Iran or India so tell them about the work that you are doing and the things that you're achieving with the contribution because they really value that I have learned throughout the years that volunteers they really want to know how they make a difference they donate sure. their time their precious time so the best thing that we can give them and reward them is to give them meaningful opportunities yeah. so don't just recruit a volunteer and forget about them make sure that they are connected to the cause that they are supporting and that they understand what's going on across the charity yeah i think we had jenny from chicago cares on a, on a recent podcast and she really spoke about the action or the activity of the volunteer is just a small portion of what the actual connection is for the volunteer and so, yes, they'll paint a fence, but that's probably the easiest part. The, the more difficult part is about communicating the wider impact of this whole, you're, you're part of a, a cog in a big wheel here and how to best communicate that is, I think, such a, it's a, it's a missing gap, I would say, in, in a lot of volunteer programs, perhaps, where we focus very much on the activity that the volunteer does, exactly. pat them on the back and you say goodbye. But the more you can bring them into the wider organisation and the impact you have, the, the stronger Absolutely. the connection will be and, and the more they'll talk and bring their friends into a program because Absolutely. not everyone's excited about painting a fence, but everyone might be excited about the impact that they can have as a, as a whole. I think you've been, you've been awesome today. The, the, your journey yourself in terms of the deep dive you needed to take to start off on this career journey and then making it all the way to the position you're in today. Um, it's uh, an Oxfam to give it an understanding of such a great organization. It's been really valuable. So we really appreciate your time and we look forward to keeping you on. So thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Really good to um, have been talking to you today here. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Wayne. That was our last episode of season two of the Engage Volunteer Podcast. We'll be taking a short break with season three of the Engage Volunteer Podcast returning in July we have lined up a great selection of guests, including Linda Fenn from British Heart Foundation, Jenny Betteridge from Sport England, and Anne Catherine Lamb from FIFA, just to name a few. To keep track of all our new episodes or to listen to additional episodes, please make sure to click follow wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for joining us.